2: Dwayne's World with Dwayne Russell. Hello, Ed, and welcome to Dwayne's World. Great to have your company wherever you might be listening around the planet. It's midday matters time. You call, you get on. That's the midday madness promise. Your calls for the next two hours on this number, 1300 736 736. 1300 736 736. That's the number for midday madness for the next couple of hours. Your calls. On that open line, send through your text as well, but it's Talkback Radio. rather have a chat to you and plenty to get to in the opening hour of the program. If you want to send through a text, it's 0433 98 1116. That's brought to us by 40 Winks and Temper, the all-new Temper, T-E-M-P-U-R. Temper, Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. The Temper Pro mattress is like no other. So send through your text. I'll read a heap of those out, but it's Talkback Radio and your calls straight up, 1300 736 open line. For Werribee Kia, awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year Award. Werribee Kia, where else? Got a heap of stuff to give away. Some gift cards are redeemable online or in-store thanks to the House of Golf. We've got some Batoki hams as well. It wouldn't be Christmas without a Batoki ham. And as I mentioned with Jared, just gone, I wouldn't mind your thoughts on this. I think the AFL could have spent their million dollars better. What should the AFL be spending their million bucks on? Because I think they wasted it this year by coming up with a new concocted McClellan Trophy competition that didn't really work. I don't think no one got into it and really didn't care about it. The only winner was Melbourne who won the million dollars despite not reaching the grand final in either the men's or the women's comp. If you missed the AFL's new idea that I don't think worked, these the McClellan Trophy competition was a combined home and away wins competition from both the AFL and the AFLW. So, and to make it even sillier, really, the AFL-W home and away wins counted as double in a comp where the teams only play half the other teams. So they don't play half the teams. And the AFL-W wins were worth double points. And the AFL men's competition, of course, all the wins counted. And some teams played the dud teams twice. So how can the AFL continue to think this is the way to go for a million-dollar giveaway? If you want to make that the McLennan Trophy System by all means, uh, give the McClellan Trophy away under that system, but I'm not sure they well, that didn't have a prize money amount attached to it for a long, long time, the McClellan Trophy. So, where can their million be better spent? Jared actually thinks it could be better spent on goal line technology, which is not such a bad spend. But your thoughts on a better system? One three hundred seven three six seven three six. A better competition could they have? Another knockout competition. Reintroduce a knockout comp, a night comp for the million bucks. They could make the opening round of the knockout comp the one preseason game we get every preseason. So we do have one serious preseason game every year now. So they can actually reduce it from 18 teams to nine before the opening round of the season actually happens. Automatically reduce it down. But your thoughts on it? What could they spend the million bucks better on? And if you've got a better comp, is the knockout comp. Bringing that back, a better idea, or have you got something else? Send through your text as well. 0433981116. But let's head to your calls, Tim in Brighton first up. Welcome to you, Tim. What could they spin it on?
3: Yeah, good Dwayne. Thanks for taking my call. A hundred percent, they need to. Uh, I'm backing up Jared here, and what he just said with the score review. In this day and age, I mean, what happened with? I'm not an Adelaide supporter, but but I really felt for them when the Ben Keys incident happened and and it and it just shouldn't have been that way i mean there's a million bucks right there and there the score review and and a and a, a sort of a, a subsidiary one to that is maybe something towards the umpires because i think the umpires need more love
2: could you so you're thinking of a prize money amount given to the best umpire of the year eh
3: yeah i think look they they need all the support they can get and and if there's some incentive or some carrot there that that uh, can be, you know, financial carrot, then, you know, you might get more people putting their hand up in the younger ranks wanting to be an umpire.
2: Yeah, Tim, I do like the opportunity to be a professional umpire and have a pathway come through that way. Maybe they could spend it on having, well, how many professional umpires would you be able to employ if you had a million bucks to use that to employ a professional umpire? You could probably pay, well, you could have all those umpires that are currently umpiring continue on in their profession, but you could actually spend it on 10 or 12 umpires to bring through a pathway as professional umpires. Tim, you're probably not um, so off the money there when it comes to that idea, even though I certainly didn't think the umpiring would be one. Hey, great to have you call in Brighton. Thanks for kicking us off. And we've got something for you, a few things to give away, including a family pass to the BBL Melbourne Stars game on Wednesday, December 13 at the MCG. That's coming your way, Tim, in Brighton. Andrew and Hyatt, you've got an idea. Welcome to you, Andrew. Yeah, g'day, Dwight.
4: The team that scored the most goals in the game for the season should get the million
2: bucks. Make it more scoring. Yeah, the hard part is some of the teams play the dud teams twice, so you get a good crack at it if you get that luxury, don't you?
4: Yep, that's all right.
2: Still do it? Million bucks for the really? highest score of the year. What about total highest What about total points four? Because Adelaide, the Adelaide Crows, who missed the eight, scored more points than any other team this year, so they could win the million bucks as the highest scoring, most attacking team in the comp this year. They didn't have a chance to win a flag because they didn't make the finals, but they would have won the million bucks. Yeah, that'd work. Not bad, Andrew. Got something for you as well. Uh, you've got, uh, where are you? Down there in height. You've got 18 holes of golf for you and a mate with a cart. Get 18 holes of golf for two with drinks and a cart midweek for just $99. Visit clubmandalay.com.au uh, John in Norwood, you've got something completely different. What can you hear, John? How are you going, Duane? Yeah, I just want to
1: speak about Warren Threadway. I think he's every right. I'll give him credit for Stan and Toll, the one to go on the board, because he's passionate about his footy club. He's an All-Australian, membership captain, you know, and he wants to get there and make his club better and uh, stronger. So I just take my hats off for him to stand and tall to try and get on the board, and I just hope the members
2: uh, vote he- in his favour. I think he's... Go on. I'll let you finish your point. Yeah, go on. No, I think it's great that he's going to stand as well. I wasn't aware that he's going to stand, but that is confirmed, is it? He will be standing for the board now?
1: Yes. Yes. Yes, he's put his name up to the members vote. Right? Yes. Yeah. It's in today's paper. Yeah.
2: And I and I don't agree with everything Warren said, everything Warren's done, but I think it is good to have someone like Warren Tredray who... He's an icon of the football club. He's one of their all-time greats. If not, you could argue he's the greatest player they've had. He's the premiership captain, John. So he needs to be heard as well. And if he's got a point, well, getting on the board, he can at least make his point. I think Koshy's done a great job. I think Matthew Richardson's done a great job as well. But I'm also of the belief that people like Warren Tredray do deserve to have a crack at getting on the board. And if the members vote him in, John, they vote him in. That's the way it should be, shouldn't it?
1: That's right, and uh, like you said, he's got a really good CV. He's been a great. He's one of the greatest captains of the Port Adelaide Football Club. you know. there's a few great ones as well, like mm. Russell Ebert and Co. But he is one of them in the top ten for sure. But yeah, I just think I give the man. his mental. I like him. Like you said, sometimes he might go a bit. Uh, another direction, but Mm. at least he's got the honesty to call it as he thinks. And I like guys like that.
2: Yeah, John, great to have you call. I appreciate you jumping on. Didn't know that was the truth, but uh, I'm glad that he's running, having a crack. And yeah, I mean, that's the beauty of this show as well. I don't agree with everything that people come on this radio station and have to say, but it's nice to have a listen to alternative views every now and then. And if he could put his case to his alternative view to the board at the highest level and it gets – knocked back, um, and I know that he's not the biggest Ken Hinckley fan out there, but he could have his say on the board and the rest of the board could say no. Ken is our man, but at least there is someone on the board if the, if the members vote him in who've got that, who's who got that side of the members' thoughts covered. Great to have you call, John. I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, Joel in Yarrawonga, welcome to you, Joel. How are you going, Dwayne? Good.
0: That's all right. What are you thinking about Alex Carey opening
5: the batting?
2: Well, it doesn't seem to be working for him where he is now. Joel, I heard Ricky Ponting with Gerard Whatley earlier on. I, I'm not sure. I think there's other contenders to open the batting before Alex Carey. And so probably not is my answer to you. I think Cam Bancroft, even though Cam failed today, didn't make the number of runs that would put pressure on Dave Warner that a lot of people hoped that he'd make. Um, in fact, all three contenders to replace Dave Warner didn't really fire. So, yeah... I, why, why do you think Kerry would work as an opener in the test team?
5: Well, I reckon that um, Marsh and Green are both, would both
0: be better at five and six than probably Bancroft opening. Mm. And, like, Kerry's defence is good enough. He could probably average, average 30 or 35 and see the new ball off for Marnus and Smith, which is really the mm. only role of an opener. So, like, I
3: reckon that that would be not bad.
2: Yeah, I heard Ricky and I I do agree with him, you don't want to mess with the batting order too much. You don't want to bring I don't think you bring Marnus up to open. Uh, I think you leave Marnus and Smith in their spots. You just have to find another opener to replace Dave Warner. Now maybe Dave goes on and plays against Pakistan on all three tests and makes four hundreds and two fifties and maybe he tells the world that hey there's no one else to replace me. I better stick around for West Indies as well, if you like. So they just need someone else to knock the door down, to almost knock him out of his spot. Rinshaw made 37. Marcus Harris, two really low scores in the Shield game being played at the moment. Cam Bancroft was out for seven. So, yeah, Candice has got this right at the moment. There's no one knocking the door down. That's better than Dave at the moment. Pete in Gladstone Park. Welcome to you, Pete. Hey, Pipe,
6: how
7: are you going? Yeah, good. Hey, listen, I want to talk about the Women's Big Bash League. Now, I was watching it last night and I was saying that if First Scorchers had made the final last night, that half their team wouldn't be available because they'd have to go back and, and play for whoever, whatever country they're playing for. I reckon in this day of professional sport, mate, if you can't commit to the whole season, don't bring them over. You know?
2: It's it's hard with the BBL and the WBBL to if you put that parameter around the competition, then the, a lot of the stars, international stars, are not going to come here at all. And that's you'd rather have them for some than have them for none, wouldn't you, Pete?
3: Well, if you're going to make the final and you're going to have half the team that made got you there, Mm. I don't think that's fair enough. I think you should commit to the whole season. Surely in this day of professional sport, and they're getting paid for it, they should say, if you can't commit
1: to the whole season,
2: Mm. don't
1: bother. We won't take you. We'll get someone else that can.
2: So the rider on that is, if you are that strict about it, and any team could be that strict about it if they wanted to, you might not even make the final, in which case, you know, you don't even draw crowds because you're not winning individual games. Um, losing's not good for you. So, yeah, do you want to be that stubborn, Pete, and lose games?
7: Yeah, I get your point.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm 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 arguing the point with you, Pete, but a part of me says you're right. It would be damn nice if they could stick around. Maybe the scheduling needed to change, but that's the issue for the BBL as well. Some of the big stars that are available haven't been available for the entire tournament. Hey, great to have you call. Pete in Gladstone Park. We need to take a break. Back to your calls next. Quite a few coming through on the text. What should the AFL be spending the million bucks on? Where could it be better spent? Is there another kind of competition they could have? Could they have a knockout competition where the opening round of the preseason season comp- or the opening round of the season, um, starts with nine teams left after the preseason practice game is round one of the knockout. So you've already reduced it from 18 to nine. Uh, keep your text coming through, 0433 Yes, I know what you're saying on the text, and let me read these out, even though a lot of people will get their back up because it does sound American. But yes, the AFL could have an in-season tournament. Last team to lose wins the cash. Uh, that has been suggested on the text. AFL in-season tournament. Last team to lose wins the cash. It's not bad. Another one here, invest in men's and women's state leagues gateway product for fans and talent. Another one here, you shouldn't get any trophy for finishing top of the ladder in the AFL or AFLW. It means nothing, just win the premiership. Well, the McClellan Trophy has always been given to the winner of the uh, the top of the ladder team after the home and away round. So you can still award the McClellan Trophy for that. But is there a place where the million dollars Could be better spent. Your calls. Could the AFL come up with a better competition than the McLellan Trophy's new competition where it's combined wins, men's and women's that wins the million bucks? A few coming through saying there should be an FA Cup-style national competition for every premiership team in every league around Australia to have a knockout-style competition and the winner at the end gets the million bucks. Wouldn't be bad for local grassroots footy either. Quite a few coming through saying Dwayne, Invest a million bucks into grassroots footy with Tasmania coming to the competition. We need to grow the talent pool. Andrew from Baronia, well, maybe, sorry, from Bandura. Well, maybe if we did have an FA Cup style competition where local clubs that have won the flag or every grand final team in local comps gets to play in a knockout comp and the winner of all those outside of the AFL, outside of the VFL, outside of the SANFL outside of the Waffle, get a chance to win the million bucks, that wouldn't be too bad. For your local club to win a million bucks. Um, imagine that, Ship United winning a million bucks. That would be kind of cool for grassroots footy to have crowds back looking forward to those knockout games. Another one here, we should bring back the knockout or round robin. Pre-season ANSEC Cup comp. Give the team that wins the grand final that $1 million. Another one here, hey pot my idea for the million dollars for the AFL to spend on is put every league in the country around Australia in a draw. Ah, uh, thanks for that as well. Freddie and Elwood, as we get back to your calls, one 736 736 for Midday Mattis. Thanks for holding, Freddie. You want to talk some AFLW?
0: Yeah, good day, Pipe. Apologies for the dropout earlier. It's all right. um, I think it's about high time the AFLW had some names for their awards, and I think there's no one more fitting for the best and fairest um, than Emma Ke- Carney. Um Winning it in, a, in the second year of the game's inception, and
1: eight all Australians across multiple positions just shows her um, consistency um, and growth in the game. It's just um, like nobody else.
2: So we had Nicole Stevenson on yesterday, and uh, we asked her, sorry Nicole Livingston on yesterday, and we asked her a few questions about the AFLW and what might happen going forward. I think they are going to name a few awards after stars like Erin Phillips and. Daisy Pierce, but uh, yeah, there's a few names that are going to be thrown up for those future awards. Freddie, I'm glad you threw up another one. Nice call. Thanks for holding. Thanks for jumping back on. Tony in two worlds. Welcome to you, Tony.
8: Good. You
2: Good. Another one we've lost. Tony and Craigie, Moon, Welcome to you, Tony. Another Tony on the line. Welcome, Tony. Oh,
8: g'day, Dwayne. How are you, mate? Good. Uh, look, my proposition is, we uh, Maxwell. Um, I think he'd be an excellent person to put straight back into that test side, a good second spinner, um, excellent fielder and middle of the batsman. Just your thoughts,
2: please. Yeah, we had a few calls on it yesterday. Uh, He's just been knocking the door down with runs, but do white ball runs equate to getting you up the list of those knocking on the test selectors' door? I
8: can't see why not.
2: Sounds like they compartmentalise it a bit too much for my liking either. But uh, I hear what you're saying. And, well, one here, remember Warner, this is on the text, remember Warner didn't start as an opener. Why not try someone like Glenn Maxwell as a test opener? So there you go. There's a thought of getting Warner, getting Maxwell in, but getting him in as a test opener. I'm not sure that'll happen. Well, it won't happen. But uh, there are a few pushing up for Glenn Maxwell to get back on the team somehow. And I'm glad you've added your voice to it, Tony. Really appreciate you jumping on. Tony in two Walls is back. Welcome to you, Tony.
8: Okay, you got me this time? Yeah, got you this time. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to say, like, yeah, with the whole Warren Treadray, uh, Warren Gary Treadray thing, He, um, good on him for joining, for you know, trying to get on the board. I haven't been a big fan through the year, so I don't like guys criticising while the season's on. But once the season's off, well, then it's gloves off. And and I, I think it's good to be able to vote people in. I'm proud of Koshi, the way he's doing stuff. And we're so lucky to have Richard. I didn't think after we had KT, we'd get someone as good. But then when I had Bucky Cunningham, I didn't think we'd <laughs> get someone as good as him either. So yeah. that, we've been blessed with some really good um, managers. And, uh, yeah, so I just hope that uh, the, whatever the people vote, you know, they vote uh, uh, Treader's in, well, then he gets the gig and he deserves an opinion. So I just hope he lets... Can he uh, have a free reign for at least one more year, you
2: know? Well, Kevin Sheedy's on the Essendon board. He didn't agree with the appointment of Brad Scott either. And Sheeds is still on the board. And now Sheeds is a fan of Brad Scott. So, uh, yeah, you can turn your opinion around. And Sheeds has done that. And it's okay to have someone on the board who doesn't agree with what the coach is doing at the time. It's okay. Now, how much of it is okay if you're voicing it in the media? Well, Warren's not in the media anymore. So he can voice it at board meetings and at least his voice then would be heard at the highest level at Port Adelaide and he doesn't have to voice it in the media to get it heard. I pay appreciate you call, Tony and two Wells. I really appreciate you jumping on or jumping back on. Need to take a break for news. Couple of texts on the way to the news. Uh a million dollar knockout comp for the teams that don't make the eight over the week before the final. So you play it between the end of the home and away in the finals. For a million bucks on offer for those who don't make the finals. Thanks for that. Um, good idea to give clubs a million bucks that they can't spend on the soft cap. Genius. That's from Jake. Yeah, I don't unless, I don't agree with the AFL's current McClellan Trophy idea as well, by the way. Maybe it'll work in time, but I don't think it worked that well this year. No one really got interested. And in, if you've got a million bucks to spend, you might as well spend it on something that people are 100% invested in. Um, hey, Pipe, my idea for the million bucks is to spend it on... Um, uh, leading into the grand final, we could have two bowl finals, the two highest finishing interstate teams not involved in the grand final and the two highest Victorian teams not involved in the grand final. Had the National Bowl and the Victorian Bowl, maybe a bit too American, but half a million each. Thanks for your text, at least. It's a different view. I don't agree with it, but nice to have it come through. Another here, invest in the, well, why not, um, well, a couple in, the McClellan Trophy is a joke in its current format with the AFLW women only playing 10 of the other 17 teams in the home and away season. Does the AFL uh, D's AFLW team played four of the bottom five teams? Crows played four of the bottom five. Lions only played two of the bottom five. And the Pies didn't play one of the bottom five teams. I've always liked the concept of the award, but it will be a token award until the AFLW comp is a 17-game season with all teams playing each other. Regards, Rick. And I think you're spot on, Rick. That's the weird part about this award. The inequity of the AFL has been talked about a lot this week, but this is unequal in its highest form, the McClellan Trophy system.
0: Ends Keep
2: your text coming through on that 40-wink stamp of text, 433 98 16 And it's midday madness. You call, you get on. Anything in the world of sport you'd like to discuss, one three hundred seven 736 We'll get you on in the next half an hour. Uh Oscar Allen's going to join us after one o'clock, so the new West Coast Eagles co-captain is going to have a chat to us, so looking forward to having a chat to Oscar after one. um They did announce yesterday the West Coast that Oscar Allen and Liam Duggan will be co-captains uh succeeding the retiring Luke Chewie at the West Coast, so we'll talk to Oscar Allen after one, but your calls all the way to one o'clock one 736 and we do have some Batoki hams to give away in the next half an hour. It simply wouldn't be Christmas without a Batoki ham and some e gift cards. Thanks to the House of Golf to give away your one stop shop for all things golf. So handy in the lead up to Christmas, some e gift cards thanks to the House of Golf. But you have to jump on the open line one 736 Quite a few texts coming through on the cricket as well. Why not open with Green or well, Jared wants Cam Green into the team. So here yeah, might happen eventually. Uh, one here, um, hey Pipe, put the million dollars into state of origin. Well, that could actually work. Yeah, the players aren't necessarily committed to State of Origin right now, but if you put a million bucks on it, at least paid a million for them to play and put a bit of prize money on it for the winner, maybe they would be involved in State of Origin. It might be a way of resurrecting it. Anyway, it could be better spent than the way they spent it this year, the AFL. Frank in Noble Park, you got a thought? What to you, Frank? Uh, g'day there, Dwayne. I just
1: wanted to touch on the McClelland and the women's footy, if I wouldn't mind. Yeah, um, just in relation to the McClellan Trophy, I think it gets a lot of disrespect in regards to the fact that um, people say that it's a nothing trophy. Why not, with the way the AFL is going, bring back reserves and call the, the premiership winner the McClellan Trophy winner?
2: So every AFL team has a team in the reserves comp, so not in the Waffle, not on the Sample. They all play in the AFL reserves, so you expand what is the VFL, you kick out all the current... Non-aligned VFL teams, and you just have a, a second second's comp in essence, Frank.
1: No, but give the VFL back to the local clubs, and they can rebuild also, and bring back some of the old VFL clubs. Like I'm saying, like we used to back in the day when we yeah. used to watch you play, we used to watch the reserve, under 18s reserves yeah. and second, you know, and and give the McClellan Trophy the respect, and let the uh, the winner of the AFL second team, uh, comp win that.
2: Yeah, the seniors are so important these days. Whether the reserves team finishes top or not is so insignificant these days. I'm not sure it would have the, the cut through of people barracking for their team in the reserves. But you're right, if they put a million bucks up for it, it would be big. But yeah, back in the when I was playing for Port Adelaide, yeah, it was big if the reserves won the flag or the under-19s won the flag or the under-17s won the flag. But that genie might be out of the bottle, Frank unfortunately, but I, I don't mind your suggestion of something different, something different to what we've got now, uh, because I think we do need something better than what we've got now, myself. A um, couple on Carey. Kerry. Alex Carey's technique isn't defensively sound enough to open the batting. Bancroft out early on a green top, but has piled on the runs this season. Deserves his spot. Nathan in Scarborough, given that Bancroft was out for seven today. Um, are there any awards throughout the AFL that is named after players from the first seven years of the comp. I think as much as it is a bit bizarre not having awards named after anyone, the AFLW shouldn't rush to name their awards, and I think that's exactly where Nicole Livingston was coming from yesterday. Just on Nicole yesterday, she also said this about the AFL women's moving to an 18-a-side competition. It's 16 per team on the field now, and it's already congested. I'm not sure 18 is going to work, but she pumped it up yesterday. Your thoughts on this? We had her on the program late yesterday. Didn't really get a chance to take your cause on it. If you're a watcher of the AFLW, would 18 on the field per team work? Or would it just make it even more congested, make it more of a tackle fest, and make it less of a spectacle? Here's Nicole Livingston yesterday.
9: Probably more the question is around 16 or 18 on the field, like the men's competition. We are starting to certainly see uh, a maturing of, of game style and Although there still are a lot of stoppages in the game, uh, it, you know, perhaps it lends itself to, to in the future getting to 18 on the field instead of 16.
2: Wow! So rather than go to back to 14 and open up space, you you think going to 18 is the way to go? Well,
9: particularly when you're playing on the same sort of, and I know I just said that they're all different sizing, mm. but um, they are AFL standard venues, so they're still they're still big grounds. Um, you know I look at other women's sport like WBBL that actually bring boundaries in and things like that I don't think our players want to to do that but um, certainly if we can keep the congestion down you know something for Laura Kane to look at and I know she is looking at it in the future years you know what does it look like if the congestion's in a good spot you know could you bring uh, 18 onto the field.
2: Nicole Livingston yesterday I know the girls want Equality with the men's game, I get that, but I'm not sure about going from 16 to 18 and congesting it even more. I'd reduce it to 14, to be honest. Shouldn't
7: be the McClellan Trophy
10: winners should oh, you, making no. two grand finals. Don't
2: bring that up, jeez. We we're flat as a biscuit about it, to be honest. Like, so yeah, we're we're in two grand finals, and the group that won it didn't get didn't get to a prelim. So. Uh, but it, look, it's it's factored it in on the home and away, and we lost by. I think it was four points, but yeah, it's a little bit of a sore point for us because it's not
7: just honorary, is it? As a million, no, it's a million dollars,
2: one hundred percent. It was you—you uh, you got five hundred for the club, and the players shared five hundred, and yeah, that's better than a round of drinks. So um, yeah, we've had a really good year, but we haven't got the million dollars to show for it. But anyway, that's hopefully we can get a premiership, and that'll um, alleviate some of the pain. Greg Swan, CEO of the Brisbane Lions with Jared Whitley yesterday, talking about the McClellan trophy system, which he doesn't like. Obviously, a couple of your thoughts coming through on the text as well. Scrap the combined format for the trophy. There needs to be some sort of reward for finishing top of the ladder in both leagues separately. Create a new trophy for the wins comp. The prize money should be a million dollars for each team, but the money shouldn't come or should come from the respective competition, not from the AFL. Uh, thanks for that. And quite a few saying they should bring back the knockout cop, the AFL. Bring back the knockout cop, Brown robin, Tech Cup preseason cop. And you could, as I mentioned, make the one preseason game that every team plays now, make that for the first knockout round. And all of a sudden you'll be reduced to nine teams before the season starts. And then you could have. An in-season tournament, if you like, NBA style. And one here, the in-season comp in the NBA has improved the standard of games. How about something similar in the AFL? Tim, you all have been watching the NBA this last week and the commentators have been talking about the in-season tournament and it does add some interest to the games. Thanks for your text. I appreciate all the texts that have come through on it. Um, I think they will give the Premier a million dollars of the knockout comp, I remember the criticism of it by 2013 was teams didn't care. That's why it was scrapped, but they might care more money uh, if there was more money on the line as well, the million bucks. And you're right, there might there might be a bit more of a care factor uh, for it. Um, Dwayne is on the AFLW as well. Should they reduce it to 14 players on the field, not extend it to 16, as suggested will happen by Nicole Livingston yesterday? Um, you are correct, Dwayne. More players will only increase the problem. AFLW players need more time and space to dispose of the ball than scoring, and six, 6 6 resets will increase. Well, I'm sure you've noticed in the AFLW there's less goals, which means there's less six-six-six resets, which means you can go for half a quarter, or almost all of a quarter, without players being forced back into positions, and it becomes a rolling ball like the AFL was a few years ago. Uh, Dwayne, 18, no shallow pool of talent, as it is, thanks for that. And women's eight interside would work if they gave up prior opportunity when handballing to a teammate. Uh, thanks for that, Ash. Tony and Q, you've got a suggestion. Welcome to you, Tony.
4: Yeah, g'day, uh, Dwayne. Uh, just on that McClellan Trophy um, and listening to Greg Swan, um, the only problem with Greg Swan is the fact that he's actually whinging and whining about the facts of the McClellan Trophy because Brisbane didn't get it. But surely he knew... The rules of mm. the Colling Trophy coming into the season—it just sounds as though he's uh, spitting uh, chips over the fact that another club won it, which being Melbourne Football Club won the Colling Trophy, and his club didn't, and he's going on a whinge fest.
2: Yeah, well, he was asked the question, I suppose, by Jared, but uh, he did wade into it. and Maybe he does believe it should be changed. Just on on that, before you go, there's one on the text here, Dwayne. Six weeks ago, you were all excited about this trophy, Pipe, when it looked like it was coming down to the last round. What's changed for you, Pipe? Swanee from York, Western Australia. You're right, Swanee. On this program two months ago, I said, there's a million-dollar game coming up in the AFLW. Will you watch it when it does come about? And I did throw this up in October, and no one, everyone said they won't be interested in it. They won't watch the AFLW even if it's a million-dollar game. So, yeah, I was excited about it a couple of months ago. I thought that there might be a hope that people might tune into the thought that a Brisbane-Melbourne game, 2nd last round of the AFLW, might draw a crowd because there was a million bucks on the end of it, and everyone called and said they won't be interested in it anyway. So maybe we just do need a different format, Tony. So maybe Greg Swan rattling that cage might actually lead us down a track to get a better format. Have you got a better format?
4: I reckon that there will be definitely a better format. That Certainly, I have no issue with Greg Swan or anybody else for that matter. But I just thought it was a bit rich that Greg Swan mm. was whinging and whining and moaning about the fact that the poor old Brisbane Lions didn't win the trophy. And then he was worrying about the rules after the event. Yeah, sure. There could be a, a far better format. I think we're all on board as far as that's concerned. it be interesting to see what the AFL come up with for next season.
2: Great to have your call, Tony. Really appreciate you jumping on. We've got a gift card, redeemable online or in-store. Thanks to the House of Golf coming your way, your one-stop shop for all things golf. Or if you're uh, a big ham eater, hold the line. You can grab yourself a batoki ham instead. It simply wouldn't be Christmas without a batoki ham. The choice is yours. Need to take a break, couple of texts, and more of your calls after the break. Oscar Allen to join us from the West Coast. Eagles, their new co-captain after one o'clock. Uh, Dwayne, Give the million to the team that got screwed by the worst umpire decision of the season, i.e. Adelaide. Even though I'm a Port supporter, that's from Craig. Another one here, the problem is that women can't kick far enough to spread a zone out like the men can. Add two more players and that zone is even more congested and I agree with you on that. Another one here, if they really want to kill women's footy as a spectator sport, then putting more players on the ground will do it. They actually need less players, 14 or 15, and a smaller ground, and I agree with that. Dwayne, the women's game will not be more aesthetically pleasing until they can string together more kick-mark sequences. At the moment, they struggle to get over a two-kick-mark sequence in a row. Hitting targets and converting goals is the key improving uh, criteria for the AFL-W. Thanks for that, Scott, as well. Keep your text coming through. Straight back to your calls and your texts for Midday Madness. Peter and Essendon, thanks for holding. Peter, welcome to you.
1: Oh, yes. Good afternoon, Dwayne. Dwayne, this has been brought up. The women's grand final is going to be at the uh, Carlton home ground, correct? Correct. And 13,000? Correct. And Telstra Dome is empty. What would you think if it was at the Marvel Stadium? Sorry, Dwayne. What's, what, what, what's your thought on that? How, much? How many people, oh, fans, would go to
7: see
2: that? Yeah, Nicole Livingston, the head of the AFLW, and I spoke about this yesterday. I think they'd get 35 maybe, Peter but there is a suggestion that they'd only get 25 and it might look half empty as opposed to half full.
3: Yeah, but
1: still, um, I thought it was the fans game. Um, what I'm picking up head office, different faces, but the same mentality, Dwayne. That's what concerns me. Um, you thought that the new CEO and and I forget her name now. and Yeah, it's the same mentality. It's the people's game. They keep saying that, but then they lock him out. I don't, I don't understand that they've got an empty stadium that they spent a lot of money on. Give the fans that opportunity to watch the game. Simple.
2: Peter, I agree with you. they should have taken the chance. they've got to back their comp in to get more than twenty five thousand back it in that you get thirty five to forty. at the moment, you're getting half what you would have got at Marvel Stadium. You'll get thirteen thousand Max at Icon Park. the capacity of Icon Park was twenty thousand plus but since Carlton, has built its new training centre, it's reduced to 13. It's not enough for a women's grand final. I asked Nicole yesterday why it's not at Marvel. why the AFL didn't back their comp in and keep Marble free. Here was her answer.
9: So we, uh, before the season started, we uh, announced all of the venues that we had on hold across the nation for the grand final. Marvel is obviously a multi-purpose venue, as uh, is most of the venues, the big venues around the nation that kick into cricket mode as well. So many of them have uh, wickets in them. Marvel's just come off uh, Paul McCartney, a whole heap of concerts, and they've just had motocross on there as well. So it's certainly not fit for our AFLW Grand Final at the moment from a turf point of view. And Princess Park is looking a treat. So we'll we'll get close to 13,000 in there on Sunday. And uh, that's actually, you know, it's, it's going to be a really great uh, atmosphere for our players to be able to, to play to a full house.
2: Nicole, yesterday, so you can read between the lines if you like, but I'm agreeing with you, Peter, it's not right. The AFL should have kept Marble Stadium free. And it sounds to me like they were, they preferred to keep it available for the money-making events. Big Bash? Paul McCartney, motocross, money-making events for the venue that the AFL own as opposed to keeping it available for an event that probably wouldn't have made much money, a twenty-five to 30,000 crowd for an AFLW final if it was held in Victoria, of course. There was a chance that Geelong were going to be able to host it at GMHBA Stadium. There was a chance that the grand final would be held interstate and then Marvel would have been kept free at the detriment of booking Paul McCartney or booking... The motocross, but surely that investment in the women's game would have been worthwhile. I think it would have been anyway. I would have, I would hope the AFL keeps it free next year, Marvel Stadium, and keep it free, and then back the girls in to be able to pull a crowd of thirty-five thousand, and it won't look half empty. Great to have you call, Peter. Nice to have the discussion with you. Really appreciate it. Um, and a couple, couple of texts coming through, just on the W as well. Um, Pipe. I think the women's game will improve. When the umpires start paying, holding the ball, officiate it a bit more like the men's game and it'll speed up. It's a real problem at the moment. Chris in Bateman's Bay. I asked Nicole that yesterday and I spoke about it Monday. The worst part about the Geelong-Brisbane game was the umpires, like the AFL men's game, have this put the whistle away mentality. They paid one free kick in the last quarter of that game. 20 odd for the game, 20 plus for the game and one in the last quarter because they didn't pay the free kicks early in the quarter to Brisbane or late in the quarter for throws that should have gone Geelong's way. So I'm agreeing with you. It'll be a lot better when the umpires pay in the back and holding the ball. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's well. We'll head back to your calls on that open line brought to us by Werribeke here very shortly. If you want to jump on the line now, by all means, do it. one 736 736 and we'll come to you. It's Midday Madness. You call, you get on. That's the Midday Madness promise. That number, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. 736 736 Anything in the world of sport you'd like to discuss, we'll get you on. The number brought to us by Werribee awarded the prestigious National Kia Car Dealer of the Year Award. Werribee Kia, where else? Oscar Allen's been good enough to join me as well. Before we head back to your calls, new West Coast co-captain. Uh, after the West Coast announced yesterday, Oscar and Liam Duggan will co-captain succeeding uh, the departing Luke Shuey. Welcome to you, Oscar, and congratulations.
6: Thank you very much, Yeah, Thanks for having me.
2: It's a, it's a really great honour, but you deserve it. You've had an outstanding career. It's not 100 games old yet, but you're really starting to grow it as, a, as a player. Um, it's going to be great for you.
6: Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity. Obviously, we're in a an interesting position as a footy club. Um, we obviously need to get better in, in a lot of aspects on and off field, so... Uh, it's a really exciting time for, for both Duggo and myself.
2: You've been a bit part player in their rise anyway, but uh, this is it's your club now to take forward. And I'm, how much leadership have you done during your junior career? Is this a natural thing to you?
6: Yeah, it's probably something that um, both my parents were teachers, so they always got me into doing public speaking and, and being involved with the group. So throughout junior footy, um, I, was, I was captain of our cult side, And the state team. Um, And then in high school, I was head boy as well. So i kind of have become accustomed to speaking in front of groups of people. And um, in leadership, that's something you need to be pretty comfortable with doing. And uh, thankfully, due to my upbringing, it's always something I've had a pretty keen interest in. And and the footy club has really facilitated my growth in that area as well.
2: What style of captain will you be?
6: (laughs) It's a good one. I got asked... (laughs) <laughs> Yesterday, uh, that question, and Shannon Earn famously said a premiership captain um, and then went on to do that. So, look, i love to say that that would be the case, and that's obviously the dream and the goal, but um, I want to be a good on-field leader, someone that leads by example, and and hopefully a successful captain, so someone that the playing group can relate to and, and yeah, hopefully bring about some success for this group and bring the footy club back to, to where we want to be near the top of the ladder.
2: And a lot of the hard work as captain will be done... When we don't see it, it'll be outside of the playing arena, outside of training. There'll be a lot of, you know, meetings and catching up with players unofficially, phone calls, all that kind of stuff. Is that the kind of stuff off-field you enjoy doing too?
6: Yeah, it is. I think probably in the last 24 months uh, when I've been elevated into the leadership group, I reckon I've had about 500 phone calls with, with Luke Shuey or or Duggo or Tom Brass or Jeremy McGovern. So... Uh, it's probably one of the, the unknown aspects if you're outside of the footy world, um, always on the, on the phone to, to the other leaders of the footy club and younger players trying to solve any issues that are going on in the background. Um, so I think Duggo and I might have each other on speed dial now that, that we're going to be tackling the task as a two. But yeah, just really looking forward to the, the whole aspect of, of leadership, not just on field, but the day-to-day around the football club as well.
2: It feels like the club's felt down. You've looked down. You've looked as if the media want to bring you down and it's us against them. How how much is the enjoyment factor there right now for you? Has it been hard the last couple of years?
6: Well, with some older players, I think guys have been around for a while and have experienced some real success in the game. It, um, it has been difficult and frustrating in terms of some of the media speculation. But in saying that, like our group, I think we... We said yesterday 22 of our squad are under 21 years old, which is which is astounding. And those young players just bring such energy and excitement to the game of football. And all they want to do is play and win games of footy. So they just bring so much youthful exuberance to, to the group. And they really inspire us to want to be better and, and achieve success with them. So um, although there's a lot of noise externally, I think every in their football career will experience that at some point. So we just want to get back to to playing good games of footy and being a competitive football side and and making our supporters proud.
2: Do you think it can turn quickly, Oscar?
6: Yeah, I do. I think you've always got to have that that belief. And I think with some of the young talent we've brought in, as well as some of the the veterans and senior players that we've got, they've still got a really high level of talent and ability on field. So just being able to merge the two of those, I think um, the margins aren't never as big as as what you think they are. So we've just got to really strip back and and get better in every area. Like there's no specific, we're just getting fitter or we're just working on our skills. Um, We need to improve in all facets of the game. And and that's a great challenge and and one that we're going to approach head on.
2: So what's your aim this year? I'm not going to ask you whether you're aiming to make the eight or uh, to put a number on it, but have you got, a list of goals on the whiteboard that you want to achieve?
6: Look, we probably haven't got to to that so far as to having some some overall outcomes. At the moment, we're just really focusing on nailing the processes. So training well, training hard, recovering, and just focusing on on becoming tight and and really working on our chemistry as a group. I think when you you look at Collingwood in particular and their rise in the last 24 months, they just seem like such a tight group and one that's really have a deep level of care and empathy for each other and, and that's something we're building at the footy club and we have been building for the last year or so um, and, and that's something I think holds you in good stead and, and allows you when the pressure's on to, to be able to perform strongly in big games.
2: And by all means tell me I'm wrong but it, it, I presume you've got a bit to work with in the improvement area because it feels like some of your standards may have slipped a little to what you would aspire to have this year.
6: Yeah, look, I think it was probably something that uh, in years gone by we hadn't addressed. And I think last year we were were pretty open in addressing that things needed change. And there's often a lag effect with these things. So maybe some of the the things we let slip in the past didn't really come to fruition until recently. And I think we've, in the last 12 to 18 months, put in some really good processes to make sure as a football club we're as elite as we can be in in all areas, whether it's performance, recovery, reviewing games, and, and that's going to take a while to implement and really have an effect. But um, myself and Liam have a strong belief that over the period of time, that will have a massive effect on improving us long-term. And, um, I mean, it's a, it's a simple game. We want to be competitive and we want to win as many games as we can. So we're going to do everything we can to get back to that point. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to the challenges ahead.
2: And how good do you think your youth is? Because you do have quite a few young players on your list. You've just added Harley Reid, the best young player in the in the land?
6: Yeah. Like he, obviously Harley's going to be the big one that, that everyone will talk about, but I think we've got some really good talent with some of the other players we picked up in in the draft. Obviously we've got um, young Archer Reed, who's a key forward with a lot of scope, Clay Hall, a Western Australian midfielder and Harvey Johnson, as well as a couple of guys in the rookie draft who We all think can have a, a strong impact on the footy club. Um, As well as in the trade period, I think Tyler Brockman's a a terrific young talent and probably through injury, we haven't seen um, as much of him as everyone would have liked in the footy community. So excited to see what he can do. And and Matty Flynn as well, who is a good AFL ruckman and um, another mature body that can can help us week to week on on game day. So with that, along with the Ruben Jimbees and Elijah Hewitts, Noah Longs of the world, continuing to get better and develop as footballers um, and then some of our senior players, um, our focus is being as healthy as we can. So week in, week out, we can contribute and help the younger players, which in the last 24 months we clearly haven't been able to do, which has hurt our performance. So um, there's a lot there that we're looking forward to and, and a lot of improvement throughout the board.
2: Yeah, I haven't spoken to you before, Oscar, but uh, you're convincing me you're speaking very well and you're selling it well. And I'm a believer in what you might be able to bring to the table as a leader off the back of... Just chatting to you for three or four minutes. So uh, I'm excited about what the future might hold. Everyone's excited about Harley Reid. Uh, everyone's obsessed with Harley Reid. Give us about a minute on Harley Reid. What's he been like? How hard's he been training? All that kind of stuff. Give us the reality, if you can, as opposed to what some of the myths have been.
6: Yeah, look, it's funny because he's probably been in the media for the last two years, since he was 16 years old, about what a superstar he is. And the reality of the situation is just an 18-year-old kid, like, um, he's, he's obviously very mature in terms of how he plays the game and he's really combative in the contest but he's the same as all the other 18 year old draft picks we've picked up he's moving away from home for the first time in his life, he's getting adjusted settling into a new state that he's never been to before, living all the rigours that, that every other AFL player did when they started their career so there's a lot to look forward to on field um, and off field, he's, he's developing into a young man so I'm really excited to help nurture him as well as a number of other boys that we've picked up um, and all of our senior players, uh, one of our main focuses this year will be how can we help them, younger players, be as good as they can be as quick as possible. So um, we're working towards that and, and it's been super exciting. He's, uh, he's in, the only person I can think of who had this amount of pressure at West Coast and speculation on him when he started his career is Nick Danui. Like he goes, hmm down the street and you go for a coffee with him and um, we're the ones taking photos for other people so <laughs> they can jump in with Harley. So it's definitely been a humbling experience for some of the older boys um, being the ones taking the photos rather than having a photo taken of them. But um, he, that, that happens because he's a great footballer. So he's obviously got a lot of development left in his game and, and areas he needs to improve, but he knows that and um, really excited to see what he can do for us, hopefully for the next 15 years.
2: Yeah, we're all pretty excited about what he might bring to the table. It was, or well, there was a thought that Adam Simpson might not keep his job. I won't ask you whether you thought it was a good idea because you're going to tell me it was a great idea. Why was it a good idea for the club to keep Simo?
6: Oh, he's got the full support of the players, and I think last year, if you look back to the end of it, we'd obviously had a really tough year, and um, if you didn't really love your coach, we probably wouldn't have put out a performance like we did against the the Western Bulldogs. Too. I think it's one of the, the strongest sides in terms of talent and list in the competition and in round 23 um, having a big upset in a week where there was a lot of external pressure and speculation on Simo and being able to, to win that game and um, really show everyone outside the footy club how much we respect and, and appreciate what Simo's has done for us. He's a premiership coach um, and he's a terrific leader. So he's been my only coach throughout my, my senior football career and I hope it stays that way for for as long as I played, I um I thoroughly enjoyed playing underneath him, and he's been a terrific role model and leader, not only for myself but for a number of other players in the playing group as well.
2: It's been a thought, Oscar, for the last twelve months that a big money offer might lure you away from the West Coast, because you are one of the rising stars of the comp. You'd be a good get for anybody. Uh, you are signed for the next couple of years, but uh, does this mean that you're going to be a West Coast Eagles player for life? You're a WA boy, born and bred, anyway.
6: Yeah, look, I've always hoped that would be the case. I've, I've grown up here in Perth and grew up a diehard Eagles supporter, so um, I'm one of the few players that have been fortunate enough to, to get drafted by the team that supported them, and um, I've, I've got nothing but um, loyalty, and, and I'm really humbled by the opportunities that West Coast have offered me throughout my career, whether that was drafting me or allowing me to play a couple of games for them, and and now putting me in this leadership position, I'm incredibly grateful. And, um, yeah, I love it here in Perth. It's been my whole life. And the West Coast Eagles have been the club that ever since I was a young boy, I just had a dream that I could play for them. And to be able to live that out has been truly remarkable. And um, I'm eternally grateful for them for it.
2: And where do you think you're going to be best placed in the next couple of years? You'll kick a monster amount of goals at a full forward. But do you believe you're going to be more of a centre-half forward or you an up-the-field kind of guy at times. Uh, Would you be better off as a centre-half forward, do you think, with other guys playing behind you? As a captain, do you feel like you're going to be better up the field a bit anyway?
6: Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, I've been fortunate enough to play with with Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling, both all Australians, and terrific players in their own right. And I've learnt a lot from them, particularly um, how Jack's been able to cover the ground and he's primarily played that higher role and. I think it's something that um, as I continue to develop my aerobic base, it's probably one of my strengths on field, allowing me to play higher up the ground and, and impact the game. And in other ways, obviously hitting the scoreboard as a forward is nice, but there's definitely other ways you can impact the game. So balancing that with, um, with what JK was all about, which is just being um, clinical in front of goal and, and really making those big moments yours when your team needs it. So uh, I enjoy playing both positions. Um, and playing the jacket something naturally where we can, we can swap over and it's almost an, an unsaid thing We just look at each other, give each other a look and, and understand that one of us is going to play high for the next five or ten minutes. And I think when you have that, that chemistry in a forward line, it makes it harder for you to be able to be defended um, and probably allows you both to be, to be more clinical and, and effective
2: on game day. And not full back anymore?
6: Yeah, and hopefully not. I know I went there a couple of times last year and it unfortunately was, was generally when uh, we weren't going so well. So um, it's not funny, but a couple of the, the milestone uh, videos of Tex kicking 10 and Charlie kicking 10, it, was, um, it wasn't great to see me as a bloke manned up on them. Uh, but it's something that throughout my career, particularly early on, that, that versatility um, probably helped me get a game like I wouldn't have played if I was just a forward. Obviously, with J.K. and Jack Darling, they, they didn't necessarily need me to be playing. So um, whenever Timo or anyone asked me to play a different role, I'm more than happy to put my hand up because I understand probably the first 50 or 60 games of my career could have been spending the waffle. Um, but their investment in me and allowing me to play a number of different positions, um, I'm grateful for them. And, and if they ask me to do it again, I'll put my hand up and, and do the thing for the team. But um, hopefully, Gov and, and Tom Barassa a fit and firing throughout all this year and, and we can see the best of both of them on field.
2: Yeah, I certainly don't want to see you full back again, Oscar. Hey, um, it's great broadcasting your games. You're a delight to watch. You're even better to talk to, uh, which is saying something because you were one of the best players in the comp when you're in full flight. Good luck with it. I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't ever been a big fan of co-captaincy, but the Sydney Swans have made me look a fool occasionally when they've made it work. So I don't think it worked for Port. How's it going to work for you and Liam? Have you spoken about how it will work?
6: Yeah, it's probably something that's ongoing. We only found out yesterday morning that that would be the case, but but Liam and I, are, are, I think it's a good place to start with. We're great mates. Um, we support each other and we've gone through a similar leadership journey at the football club where um, we've put, been put in the same leadership development programs and have done similar work off-site to keep improving our, our leadership skills and being able to lead a group. So. Um, I think us playing different positions as well is is really useful. We have different perspectives on the game. So obviously me ahead of the footy and then uh, Duggo behind or around the ball. So I think that's a good place to start and it will take time for us to work it out. But I'm incredibly confident um, with the the quality of man that that Duggo is. Anyone that knows him, he's one of the great fellas. He's incredibly um, empathetic to everyone in the playing group and and someone who's an honour to work with and and play alongside. So uh, we haven't gone through the minute details of it yet, but um, I'm I'm very certain it's going to be effective and and hopefully help us uh, be as competitive as quickly as possible.
2: And he's three years older than you anyway, so you'll be solo captain one day.
6: Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, There's a a lot of great young leaders at the footy club coming through as well, so maybe one of them might overtake me by the time that... uh, The Duggo decides he no longer wants to uh, have the captaincy reign, so we just have to wait and see.
2: Great to have a chat to you, Oscar. Good luck. Can't wait to see you in action.
6: Yeah, beautiful. Thank you very much. Have a nice day.
2: Oscar Allen, new West Coast Eagles co-captain, and how good was he? That was fun having a chat with Oscar Allen. It's there on the podcast. If you just missed it, we're going to get an update from the Australian Open Golf very shortly, so stick around for that. And Australian Cricketers Association CEO Todd Greenberg to join us. In the next hour, along with NBL CEO David Stevenson, so a big show still to come. We've got some pataki hams to give away as well. If you want to jump on the line, one 736 As we continue midday, Madness, some Patoki hams to give away. It simply wouldn't be Christmas without a pataki ham. A couple of texts that have come through. Uh, my God, Dwayne, how good does Oscar Allen speak? They're in good hands. Another one, that's from Jesse. Another one here, like you, Dueno. I haven't heard much from Oscar before, but after hearing him, I think the West Coast have nailed their choice, appointing him as one of their skippers. Yeah, I've never been a fan of co-captains. I know the Sydney Swans have made it work. I don't think it worked at Port. Has it been good for Richmond or not? Probably hasn't worked at Richmond either. But your thoughts on co-captains and whether it does work, and if you want to make it a why is it so, why is it so that we've gone away from single captains in the modern era? one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Is it because there's no top dog at a club, no natural-born leader, even though Oscar Allen does seem like he might be that guy for the West Coast Eagles moving forward? Ryan in Cheltenham, you're on the line. We'll come to you. Welcome to you, Ryan. Great to have you on. Uh, G'day, Dwayne. As always, thank you for taking my call. Fire away, Ryan. I'm happy to listen to you. Um, Dwayne, I'm
0: just calling. I'm, I'm stealing Andy and, a- Andy and Andy's kind of... uh segment, but I want to put a massive pox, please, Dwayne, Yep, on the, on the Melbourne and Olympic Parks group for finding a way to stop the free post-game Buller ice
7: creams at all Melbourne United games. Um, it's amazing what they can find.
0: Be doing it for years, zero incidents. Honestly, I kind of smell a rat, but I'll leave it at that.
2: Well, I enjoyed my Buller ice cream uh, every time I've left a Melbourne United game. Uh, just out there on the concourse, you wander out, you've had a good night, you with the family and all of a sudden there's a Buller ice cream waiting for you. Um, made down there in colac as well, I think. So um, local product, yeah, I'm not sure I can smell the rat you're smelling, Ryan, but i would certainly enjoyed, and I'm heading to the basketball in a week's time, um, getting a Buller ice cream on the way out. Thanks for your call. Um, jump on the line. We'll take a few more of your calls for Flight Centre's Big Red Sale, which is on now with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save big thanks to Flight Centre's Big Red Sale. Is that Boney M, eh, Mayrod? I think they're coming to the Palais. I think they're at the Palais, not too far, and I think they might already be sold out. Might get you to play some Devo shortly as well. Devo's at the Palais coming up. A couple of big uh, acts from overseas coming to the Palais, uh, and uh, good to have a little bit of Bony M on the radio. It was sunny. A couple of texts coming through. I'm very bullish about the Eagles next year. Dwayne, looking forward to how Oscar Allen and Liam go as co-captains. We have a great core of young players who I believe are the future. Hopefully, it shows on the field next year and we can play some consistent and competitive footy up the coasters, Jeff from Northam in WA. Thanks for that, Jeff. Uh, Oscar Allen, natural born leader. And he does sound a natural born leader as well. Um Couple on the cricket as well. Dwayne, Cam Brancroft deserves a go. He's banging on the door. He should be in the first against Pakistan ahead of Dave Warner. Dave Warner is done. Well, Dave Warner isn't done. He's going to be playing that first test from what we understand and I'll play a little bit of what Ricky Ponting had to say about Dave Warner as well this summer with Jared Whateley earlier today. Uh, Another one here. G'day, Dwayne. This may sound a bit different, but I believe Steve Smith has lost his drive and needs a challenge at the twilight of his career. Why break the Labochane scenario? He's the best number three since Ponting. Smith and Kawaja would work and no better opportunity against a lowly West Indies team. Head to four. Green or Maxwell to come in at five. Your thoughts? Pipe. Dale from Hobart. I don't think they'll change the team too much myself, but maybe I'm wrong, Dale. I don't think they'll be making too many changes. I don't see Dave Warner anywhere but opening the batting in that first test against Pakistan. And I don't see Dave Warner anywhere bar opening the batting in the first in the third test against Pakistan at the SCG either. Some news just in, by the way, in the world of AFL. The AFLW Premiership Cup presenters have been announced ahead of Sunday's grand final. If North Melbourne wins, recently retired North Melbourne former captain Jack Zebel is going to present the Cup. And if Brisbane wins, Brisbane 2021 AFLW Premiership Captain Emma Zilke will present the Cup to the line. So that's a little bit of news coming through.
5: Yeah, look, I think he deserves to be there at the start of the summer. Um, but then it, I think it's uh, then it's up to him. I mean, I've read some reports this week about, you know, the. The farewell tour and having five tests in the summer and finishing in Sydney in front of his home crowd. I mean, that's that's all up to David, really. I mean, I, I don't think anyone can ever be guaranteed that sort of a run in, and, and no one can be guaranteed the, the the fairy tale retirement either. So it's up to him. You know, if he scores runs in the first few games, then he'll most likely get that the send off that he's after. But there are a few guys sort of queuing up behind him that have been doing. You know, a lot of things right in domestic cricket to get a, to get their chance to open the batting. And, I mean, that that time will obviously come. But when, we'll wait and see. And we'll probably have a clearer picture after that first Test match in Perth.
2: Ricky Ponting earlier today with Gerard Whateley. Ricky Ponting is sort of part of the SEN Summer of Cricket. He's got to be with us a little bit, uh, not only lending his voice to the, the commentary and to our coverage of cricket overall over the summer, but lending us a few bottles of his wine, which is nice. You can check out Ponting Wines online. Matt in Altona is on the line. What we'll to you, Matt?
3: G'day, Dwayne. How are you going? Good. Yeah, just on David of really should have retired last summer, I thought, after his 200, as Jared said earlier. Um, they took him to in India and England where he done nothing, and he's done nothing over there before. Now he gets back and chooses when he wants to retire. Like, um, Look at Ponting there's, uh, Jared mentioned one of the guests earlier. He could have broke? went on and broke Steve Waugh's record and played his last test in Tasmania. But he's wanted, he wanted to finish when he finished, you know what I mean? He, for the betterment of Cricket Australia. Now, wouldn't this be the best time for David Warner to hang him up with these two test series? Nothing against Pakistan and West Indies. But be the best time to blood a uh, new opener, I would have thought.
2: Yeah, I'm not with you, Matt. I, if I'm a sports person, I'm retiring when the selectors don't pick me. So... Yeah, I I can see exactly why Dave Warner hasn't given it away just yet. And if he wants to retire going out in Sydney, then he retires going out in Sydney at the SCG unless the selectors drop him beforehand, Matt. So over to you selectors. I mean, if unfortunately Cam Bancroft, well, he was out for seven today. rent made 37. Marcus Harris out cheaply in both innings of the Shield match being played at the moment. So – yeah, there hasn't been someone kicking him out, Matt. So why would you just leave your post? If you're a cricketer, you're a cricketer. It's not like he's retiring from cricket overall anyway. Still going to play 50 over cricket. Still going to play T20 cricket. So it's not like he's retiring to sail into the sunset and you know head to the Bahamas and we'll never see him again. He's still going to be a professional cricketer. I'm not sure I'm retiring from the best, greatest, most prestigious form of cricket there is test cricket until they tell me I'm done.
3: Yeah, I just think the selectors sort of lack a bit of backbone in that. He he made no runs in England, no runs in India. He didn't really make any runs Mm. sort of two years prior to that. Um, And he sort of just hung in there with that 200 at Melbourne and it it sort of got got him a spot. I just feel like they don't have much of a backbone. You see, I don't think it's it's –
2: we're on the same page. It's not Dave Warner's fault that he hasn't retired. It's not Dave Warner's fault they keep picking him. So if you're Dave Warner – Keep playing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it would have been for the better minute. Yeah, I know no one's knocking down the door, but it would have been a perfect time to try throw in an opener in the the deep end, I suppose, in these two test series. Mm.
2: Selectors haven't wanted to do it, Matt. It's a good debate. I'm enjoying having the debate with you. In fact, Martin Blake is one of the great sports writers in Australian sport and has been for decades. He's covering the golf for us, by the way, at the Australian Open, but has covered cricket over time. Martin, welcome to you. Welcome. Great to have you on.
7: Thanks for the intro, Duano.
2: Can I get you to wade into the Dave Warner deep end while I'm with you? Where are you out with Dave Warner?
7: Dave Warner, should he stay or should he go? Um, i tell you what, I watched him in the, the final and uh, for a 36-year-old, he moves pretty well around the boundary. So, I mean, he's in great physical nick. There's no doubt about that. So, look, it's up really down to him, isn't it, at that point of the time. You know, if he wants to go, then let him go. Time to move on, probably.
2: You won't put the pen down until you're told to put it down, Martin. Will you? You love writing. You're always have always been one of the great writers. Uh, what is your, you've been covering the golf for decades and decades? You must still love it to tour around, still covering it.
7: Absolutely. Do I know? I mean, what what? It's the dream job, isn't it? Mm.
1: Uh,
7: I mean, as you mentioned, I, I covered a lot of cricket uh, in the earlier days. I probably, in many ways, I love probably love cricket more than golf. But uh, golf just seem to find me and I love playing golf as well I've probably done i probably switched from golf to cricket and I was always doing the footy in winter so (laughs) there's worse jobs to do hey.
2: Well let me ask you about the evolution of both so you and I were broadcasting you know back when there wasn't a T20 form of the game and we saw the evolution of it and there were a few around when T20 was invented saying this thing won't last but it's evolved (laughs) to the point that it's almost the number one form of the game and you're now reporting on golf with Liv taking over and setting a bit of a standard for the rest to follow, if they want to follow. Where are you at with, the firstly, the evolution of cricket and now the evolution of golf?
7: Well, I don't mind the evolution of cricket. I mean, it's just moving, moving with the times and providing a product that, that people clearly want. Uh, I guess the balance you have to get is that, is it going to eat the rest of the game? You know, I really worry about test cricket because I love test cricket myself. And to be honest, you know, if if there, if there are only two or three or four test cricket teams in the world, that'd probably be okay, wouldn't it? Mm. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of countries that don't seem to care about it that much. So, uh, so with cricket, I think it's what, what you see, what you get. With the, the comparison with golf is pretty uh, valid, I think, because you know what they're doing with live is is probably a, a very similar to the IPL concept in many ways. It's it's the entertainment package and that kind of thing. And it's trying to hit in on some of the, you know, trying to probably hit in on some of the more boring aspects of of golf and taking that away, you know, let them play in shorts, let them play only three rounds. So it's a shorter concept. You know, they're they're zeroing in on some of what what I suppose they think would be the weaknesses of traditional golf. So I think it's all uh, grist for the mill lane. I think it just, it'll sort itself out over a period of time. I hope that the, uh, Warring factions will will come together um, so that we can get all the best players in the world out on the same venues at one time. But we've got we've got quite a few of the, the best out here this week. We're, we're fortunate in Australia that the uh, you know the, the US tour is now uh, dropping its wraparound season, and uh, the live tour likes to have an off season. So we're going to have in the in the immediate future we're going to have our best players will be able to come back and play, and we've seen that this year, and we've seen that last year as well. So we're probably in a better spot in many ways from a selfish point of view in Australia.
2: So uh, before we talk about the Australian Open men's and women's side of it, uh, when do you think this giant hug between uh, Liv and everyone else who doesn't like Liv, when do you think that giant hug's going to happen and we'll move on?
7: Uh, Hard to say, Duane. I mean, to me, it feels a long way off right now. Uh, they did, you know, it was interpreted when they when they sort of had a little daytime, a little while a couple of months ago. It was kind of interpreted as that they were going to merge, but I, I just sense that that's a long way off myself. So yes, they've dropped their, their their legal suits and stuff for the time being, and they're not screaming at each other. But I I don't I don't sense that they're necessarily close to uh, making that marriage happen. So uh, I'm thinking that's a few years away yet. So I think we're probably going to see. A few years where the game is a bit divided uh, and then it'll kind of fall into place maybe two or three years down the track.
2: Speaking of the track, uh, how easy is the track at the Australian Open? I think Cam Davis and a few of the others have carved it up in this opening round. Give us the leaderboard and what you've made of the opening day. Uh,
7: The opening day, is. is, is, there's two stories to this. There's two venues. one the lakes and then across the road and where I am is the Australian. The Australian's playing, you know, normal. Uh, it's a relatively tough track. The Lakes is playing soft because it poured rain here yesterday, flooded both courses. So uh, when that happens and the rain goes away, the, the professional players will take advantage. They're, they're able to just zero in on the greens and spin the ball back and you know play dartboard golf, so to speak. So uh, all of the good scores today have been at the Lakes by and large, and Cameron Davis is the best of them. He won this Australian Open in 2017 when he was... A young guy who no one really knew that well. Uh, he's been over in the States playing. He's won in the States, but he hasn't quite you know, hit the, the marks that, say, a Cameron Smith has. But Cam Davis is an outstanding player, and he's shot nine under 63. He is the leader of the men's uh, tournament at the Australian Open, as we speak, with quite a few players out on the course. I should add, Dwayne, that they, they suspended play at the Lakes about half an hour ago because Mm. of heavy rain they're still playing here at the australian but only just so hopefully that storm has passed through uh patrick rogers from the united states bit of a journeyman player eight under also at the lakes hayden hopewell from perth young first year pro very exciting player 65 today also at the lakes grant Forrest from scotland was the best at the australian he shot six under 65 so uh, Min Woo Lee started with a 67, so he's in the mix, the hot guy of the moment. And uh, Cam Smith shot one under. He uh, struggled a little bit today, as he did in Brisbane uh, last week. On the women's side, there's a good story here, Dwayne. Uh, Rachel Lee, 16 years old, amateur from Avondale Golf Club, uh, just north of Sydney. Uh, she has shot six under 67 to lead the Women's Open from G.I. Shin, who's a major winner from Korea, veteran player who shot five under and Steph Kiriakou's in there at third, Sydney player, Sydney pro at four under. But Rachel Lee uh, is a teenager. Uh, she's in year 10 at high school. Uh, she's in the Gulf New South Wales elite programs. Uh, she played a practice round with G.I. Shin, who's a legend, yesterday, and she said that that was you know, her hero. Uh, and she's come out and shot uh, 67. Haven't had a chance to speak to her yet. She's just finished. But it's a hell of a thing. I, I, I gather that she came in and she said, her comment was, "Am I leading the Australian Open?"
2: <laughs> Which is a great thing to have on your resume at such a young age. So she's still at school, did you say?
7: Year ten at high school, and uh, just playing a bit of amateur golf. She wow. won a uh, New South Wales Women's Open qualifier the other day. I think she's won, possibly won a uh, uh, a couple of a couple of the bigger amateur events in the last year or so, but. Uh, not necessarily totally on the radar, but she's she's certainly going to be on the radar after today. I mean, uh, there's plenty of players still out on the course here at the Australian, and they, uh, the way the weather is, they will come back on at the Lakes. If they're not on now, they'll be on fairly soon, I'd imagine. So she may not necessarily hold the lead, but it's going to be hard for them to, to shift that. I mean, Minji Lee's already played and shot three under, so it won't be her. Uh, Gabby, Gabby Ruffles, one under. Hannah Green's out on the course, but she's only one under through nine, so you might find a 16-year-old on top of the leaderboard at the end of the day.
2: Can't wait for that story to be written by Martin. That's going to be a ripper. Uh, should she... Well, she's too young for schoolies. They're out, I suppose. She's not missing class today.
7: <laughs> she, she's, she hasn't even got to schoolie stage. Uh, yeah, she must be... Uh, have, have a little leave day today, and uh, obviously it's in her home city, so she's, she might be able to do doing some homework tonight, Dwayne.
2: There's a few tournaments like this around the world, not many with the two courses. Do you like it?
7: Uh, logistically, it's quite difficult, Blaine. I mean, in the ideal world for this event, if you're going to have the the two, but there's actually three tournaments because there's an all abilities uh, tournament as well. I, in an ideal world, it's on a, it's on a course, you know, a golf club that's got uh, two golf courses. So uh, this is really copied from the Vic Open, which has been played for about a decade at the the 13th Beach Links down at Bowen Heads, and they have two courses there. It's a lot easier when the two courses are just there. In this instance here, the lakes and the Australian are about a five minute uh, cab ride apart, so mm. it's doable, but it, it is difficult. So, uh, this is the last year of the contract with uh, Destination New South Wales to have the open up in Sydney. Um, I, I would hope that Victoria will have a crack at it. Uh, Royal Melbourne's got two courses, Peninsula kingswood got two courses. I mean, it, to have it all on the one property would, would be better, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but we make do this week because there aren't many, there aren't that many uh, golf clubs in Australia that have got two courses. Only really a handful. So, uh, and they're not all up to the grade of of necessarily hosting an Australian Open either. So uh, these two certainly are. Uh, but we have to go through the logistic difficulties of trying to get on the uh, the shuttle between the courses, which I'm told has got a few lines of people uh, trying to get on.
2: Uh, you've got that profit limo, no doubt. Martin, uh, you're right. If it's uh, all on the one property, at least the media centre can cater for everybody. Martin, great to have you. If we're lucky, we'll get you five minutes tomorrow. We'll talk soon. Cheers, Dwayne. Martin Blake joining us from the Australian Open. Boys, great to have your company for Dwayne's World. A couple of big hours of midday madness. Great to have your company for midday madness. So many texts coming through as well. I'll read a heap of your texts out again very shortly, but let's talk some cricket. Australian cricket might have just had its most successful 12 months on the calendar, well, almost of all time. Plenty of cricket to come as well with SEM Broadcasting, every ball of the summer of cricket, including every test, every BBL game, plus all the white ball games and the Tour of New Zealand. So there's plenty coming your way on SEM when it comes to cricket. And Todd Greenberg, Australian Cricketers Association CEO, has been good enough to join me. Todd, welcome back to the program. Great to have you on.
0: Good on you, Duane. Nice to chat to you too.
2: Been a pretty successful 12 months, hasn't it been? Uh, you saw this coming, surely?
0: <clears throat> yeah, it's been an amazing 12 months. I mean, um, you know, culminated by just the recent one in India. I mean, to see the boys win away from home in that sort of cauldron-like atmosphere caught a lot of people by surprise. And, um, you know, it's sort of been the talk of everywhere I've been in the last few weeks is just how good that performance was. I'm incredibly proud of the players. It's quite an amazing bunch, this group.
2: PM, given an invite, what's happening to celebrate it? If this was an American team, they'd be at the White House. Uh, what's happening for our team? There hasn't really been a, an official celebration.
0: Well, I can tell you this much. I um, I caught up with Mitchell Stark only yesterday and um, I think he, he enjoyed a few beers over there together with his teammates, jumped on a flight home, had a, literally two days and was back in the gym on Friday, getting himself prepared for the next series against Pakistan. So, I mean, it's you know, there's no doubt that it's a hard workload. You don't really get to stop and breathe and take some of the enormity. You know what they've achieved. It's quite an amazing achievement. There's no uh, no visits to the uh, to the lodge on this one. I think we've just got to roll the sleeves up and get on
2: with what's next. Surely the lodge will invite them at some stage. It does need some sort of commemoration at some stage, doesn't it? This was, or well, where does it stand? You've been cricketers association CEO for a while. Where do you think it stands in the world of Australian cricket achievements?
0: Oh, it's. It's remarkable, really. I mean, um, you know, first of all, the win itself in the conditions that favoured the hosts, you know, in front of a hundred thousand, completely all aligned in blue t-shirts for India fans, was one of probably the best performances I've witnessed in any sport. And to silence such a packed crowd like that was nothing short of phenomenal. But it comes on the back of what's been an incredible year. Both our men and women brought the Ashes back. Uh, you know, men won the World Championship trophy. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it's an incredible run, and it all credit to the players, and equally, you know, the, the staff around the high performance environment. Andrew McDonald and his team deserve enormous credit, but it's the players themselves who've driven that culture uh, under Pat Cummins, and they deserve enormous credit for the way they've played the game, and equally the way they're handling themselves away from the field as well.
2: Where were you when Glenn Maxwell was cramping, at back spasms, and it looked like he wouldn't be able to go on? Were you? wondering what in the hell is going on. Did you make a phone call to see, you know, what the doctors were saying? How do you approach that? Yeah.
0: I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I was, I was certainly on the phone a lot at that point in time. I mean, you know, we balance all of these things against player workload and, you know, the sort of um, pressures that are applied on players. And, you know, it's very, very difficult conditions to play any sport in, let alone cricket at the highest level with the humidity and also the quality of air that in some of the cities in India. So, you know, I watch that with very mixed emotions. Whilst people love seeing, you know, the adversity and the resilience, you also consider the impact that has on the player himself and it was remarkable. And I think we've seen many performances like that where literally a player is out on his feet, uh, both feet, both legs, mm. in fact, and, and could still continue to perform. So, I mean, that was one of the great things about this World Cup particularly. You know, the, almost every player in the squad made contributions throughout, whether it was... You know, Dave Warner at the top of the order with the bat. You know, Adam Zampa with the ball. I thought all our quicks were fantastic. And then you sort of see Travis Head, Mitch Mars, and as you said, Glenn Maxwell. So it was very much a team performance. And I think to win these types of tournaments over these lengths of time, you have to make sure you have contributions from a variety of players, not just one or two of your best. So that's the thing that pleased me most about this campaign.
2: And you've got to let them have some downtime too, although you'd prefer they actually rode in the front of a cart, wouldn't you?
0: <laughs> yeah, fair to say there's a be close watchful eye on the next game of golf. Um, and, you know, that's one of the players' great joys about getting out and about in between games. But, yeah, I think we might have to look at the OH&S responsibilities around those next ones, that's for sure.
2: Have you done much to support Pat Cummins, or has he not needed it, given there were a few coming at him and uh, he's proven to be the right man for the right job and pulled all the right reins?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, just starting... Most people are just starting to see the Pat Cummins we've all seen and known for a long period of time. He's on the board of the ACA and has been for a long period of time. I've got to know him personally as well. And everything you see uh, and everything you hear is first class, but it's exactly what you see away from the cameras as well. Um, And, you know, the the evolution of professional cricket is also that the captain has surrounded himself with other like-minded individuals and, You know, whether that's a senior group of players in the team, but also, as I said before, Andrew McDonald and others, you know, providing great balance for Pat. But, you know, he's a high-quality cricketer and he's a high-quality person. And Australia are fortunate to have him leading us.
2: Has he lent on you? Have you spoken to him? And do you think people were unfairly criticising him early?
0: Oh, look, you know, one of the things he and I talked about very early in his tenure was that uh, you can expect... Um, criticism because you know there's nothing more certain in our media landscape but they build you up to knock you down Um, and heroes and villains are well within our landscape so he knew that going in you know he's very circumspect but he's also very much a a leader by values and so he's very much disregards any criticism and is happy to plow on because he knows what's right And, and he's prepared to stick his neck out for what he believes is right and you know I've consistently maintained my support for him and other players who want to have a voice on key issues and you know that that's what leadership's about people confuse leadership with popularity um, leaders are about having a view having a position uh, having good reasoning behind that and then sticking to it and nothing better demonstrated than Pat and you'll continue to see that from him over this summer and and again he's he's got clear beliefs and a set of values and, and he'll follow them
2: in a perfect world our best t20 team plays every t20 international our best 50 over team does the same, and best test team does the same. Scheduling's an issue isn't it, when you've got three, four of your best players not available for a T20 tournament?
0: Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, you know, there's um, every time we play, every, we want our best players, but there's no doubt that the way the schedule, both bilateral series and ICC tournaments, on top of you know private T20 leagues, are now putting great strain and stress onto the structure of the calendar, so I think we've got to have more of a squad mentality than just a team mentality. That's certainly the position of Australian cricket. And, you know, we've just got to work together. We've tried to got to work smart. We've got to peak at the right times. But, yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into the structure of the schedule. It's um, what you would call an inexact science. But, you know, player workloads are hard. I mean, as you've just said, we've had the most amazing period of time. But for most Australian fans sitting here domestically, they're getting ready for the start of the cricket season. Um on the back of what's been an incredibly busy period for our players. So we've got to make sure we can get them up for the right periods of time.
2: So are you agreeing that these T20 matches in India have been scheduled poorly, that we shouldn't have allowed it to go ahead or shouldn't be playing them?
0: Yeah, I mean, in, in a perfect world, you wouldn't be playing. Um, there's no doubt about that. But we're also mindful that the bilateral agreements that sit between countries like ours in India um have commitments where we help each other on content and broadcasters and they'll do the same for us. But in a perfect world, if you're asking me whether we want our players playing this straight after World Cup, the answer is, of course, we don't. We want them to have a good rest. But equally, we're in a model whereby our players continue to play and and get well remunerated along the way. So that's why I'm suggesting that, you know, squad mentality versus just starting 11 every week. uh, We have to have some balance and perspective in all those things.
2: Fact or myth, Alex Carey's been knocked around a bit by what happened during the Ashes and the criticism?
0: Yeah, I mean, um, like all of us, he's a human being as well and he's got his own family issues and his own personal agendas and, you know, it's not easy uh, being criticised, particularly in the heat of the storm that happened over at Lords this year. So, clearly that's had an effect. But he's, again, a hard worker. He's extremely talented and I'm expecting to see the best of him this summer. Um, but you know, this is, this is part of the challenge for the, the sports fans to look at is they, they might see them only as cricketers, but these are human beings, they're husbands and fathers and sons. And, you know, they have the same challenges that we all do. Um, they're no different. Um, so we've got to make sure we keep supporting them, not just as professional athletes and cricketers, but as people as well.
2: So what have you done to help Alex?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of work that goes in behind the scenes with all of our players, whether they're facing issues around selection or, you know, we're getting players ready for transition when they they leave the game. So, you know, we spend a lot of time, what I would say, below the line supporting players. Um, And that's not just conversations with people like myself, it's with professionals, you know, professionals in the industries that can ensure that we put our players in the best mental frame of mind to do their best. Um, And that's ultimately what we have to do. As I said, it's not just about, how many runs you score, a wicket you take and catches you make. It's actually about helping them away from cricket to find balance and perspective when they're playing, but importantly, conditioning them for when the time comes when they don't play.
2: David Warner's been one of our all-time greats. We'll continue to play white ball cricket and uh, he's been on an icon in the Test Arena. Is there, do you know what's happening to celebrate him at the SCG in a few weeks' time?
0: Well, I know one thing for Dave, and he's been consistently on this, is the only currency that will be important to him in the next few weeks and months will be runs. And the more runs he can score will give him the opportunity to be in Sydney and get the farewell that he wants. Um, Having worked in professional sport for a long time, uh, it's very hard to manufacture fairy tales. So he knows that better than anybody. So his currency is runs and I'm sure that he'll want to come out in that first test and score as many runs as he can. So he, he can give himself the opportunity to be in Sydney. and That's the most important thing in his mind. And then, If and when that happens, uh, I have no doubt that people will give him the farewell that he so richly deserves. He's been a great servant for Australian cricket. Um, He's been, you know, the way he plays the game and the amount of uh, people that will tune in to watch him when he turns up to bat um, speaks volumes. So I hope he has a really great start to his summer and and we can farewell him the way he should be.
2: And I love your answer, Tom, Tom, because... I think it's a fait accompli that he plays in the first test, even though some people think it's not certain yet. He hasn't been told just yet, but uh, it'll happen. He'll play. He'll open for Australia in the first test, won't he?
0: Well, you would think so. Uh, But again, you know, everyone's only as good as the last game you played. And, you know, it's great to see the strength of Australian cricket and people lining up for their opportunity. And there will be plenty of that. But as I just said then, I mean, it's about runs. uh, And that's the only really primary objective for him and others mm. to concern themselves with. There's lots of white noise that sits on the outside of that, but I know how hard Dave works on his game. Um, and He'll put his head down after a great campaign at the World Cup. He'll have some time to recuperate, rest, recharge, and I'd expect him to come out all guns blazing and put as many runs on the board as, as he can. And when you perform and runs are your currency, then you do have the ability to choose for yourself and that's giving himself every opportunity, hopefully.
2: There is a little bit of an asterisk on the runs are the currency, though, because some like to compartmentalise white ball runs as to whether that accumulates enough to get you up the ladder for selection in the test team. Glenn Maxwell's accumulating a lot of runs. Does that move him up the ladder for test selection?
0: Well, I know how passionate uh, Glenn is about putting a baggy green on again, like all players are, really, so um you know cricket's cricket at the very start and then there's the nuances that go within the formats but I saw some reports today about um you know him being considered for selection which I was pleased to read actually because if you're good enough at one level you're usually good enough at all levels and um, you know there's a guy who's worked really hard on his game he's had a number of setbacks and you talk about those players that need to find resilience on the way through whether it's injuries that have come to him or mishaps but Geez, the way he played and the way he played the other night, again, you know, un- under extreme pressure um, and when it matters most, it says a lot about his character. So I know how much he's liked amongst his teammates. So it'd be great to see him get another opportunity as well.
2: Talking to Todd Greenberg, Australian Cricketers Association CEO. Todd, just from an overall philosophical perspective, a month ago the Australian Cricketers Association threw its support behind our netballers and that looks like getting a little nastier. or it has got a little nasty of late do you still weigh into that do you still get phone calls to help out do you just help out because you want to help out and call them how does that work
0: yeah look we we got involved primarily because we wanted players to be able to help other players and our cricketers had been in a very similar situation to what they find themselves today back in 2017 we went through our own pay dispute so there was nothing more than just giving some other fellow players a helping hand but you know I'm really hopeful that between the governing body and the players, they can work out the structure of a deal. Uh, I've long maintained that some communication and actually getting around the table can solve most problems. And I'm hopeful there's a level of maturity on both sides that can get that deal done. But, yeah, we've been in constant contact with the Netball Players Association to give them some assistance and, you know, a helping hand when needed and some resources. And as I said, I'm hopeful for their players because ultimately you've got 80 to 100 young women who are playing professional netball and devoting their careers and none of them are being paid at the moment um, and I find that hard to reconcile so let's hope they do get that deal done quickly for their sport particularly.
2: And one more philosophical question Todd, does less games mean less money or do you get paid for the comp? So the BBL has had a reduction in games and I'm asking you this with a bit of an AFL thought going forward when we maybe have 19 teams or even 20 teams when there might a situation where everybody plays each other once and we have a few less games. Does that mean less pay or do you get paid for the whole comp for the year and that's it?
0: No, I don't think it necessarily matches that more games, more pay. In fact, I think I've got a personal view on this that sometimes I think sports get concerned about adding more content, but it's actually about the quality rather than the quantity. So I think scarcity can be your friend sometimes and uh, scarcity can create a much better value set. So um, I'm all about making sure those games have real meaning and purpose. So I'm not, su- not a subscriber to the consistency of just adding more content in for no, for no apparent reason. So uh, I think scarcity can be your friend, as I said, and creating scarcity through scheduling can be very advantageous, but it takes some bravery as well.
2: Good to have you, Todd. Always good to be able to pick your brain. I always appreciate it when you come on. So thanks for making yourself available.
0: Any time. Look forward to chatting over summer. Cheers.
2: Yeah, I'll see you at the cricket. Todd Greenberg, Australian Cricketers Association CEO. Straight back to your calls and texts. James and Ivanhoe. Welcome to you, James. Hi,
7: uh, Dwayne. How do you think about Dave Warner? Um, I don't think anyone's amounting a, a big enough run case against him to force him out. For him. Uh, so I think that's it. But I can't wait for him to retire because I can't wait for his book because, bloody if there's going to be some people scared when that happens. That sandpaper gate, you can't tell me the bowlers couldn't see the ball getting changed. You can't tell... Then one of them became captain. You can't tell me he was the only one and he's he kept his mouth shut. I can't wait for the book.
2: James, uh, it might not be as explosive as people think or hope it is, but uh, it'll come out at some stage. You're probably right. I think it's going to be a Dave Warner book in time. I appreciate your call. James, a couple of texts that have come through. Are one here I agree, Dave Warner should go, but if the selectors don't drop him i would keep playing him as well. Uh, One here, that's Bancroft's first failure this year. He's averaging 60 with two or three tons. Get him in there. Big Brian from Bali. Thanks for that, Big Brian. Um, Dwayne, pretty obvious this is back off uh, the AFLW Grand Final, not being at Marvel. Pretty obvious once Melbourne were out, the AFL expected either Brisbane or Adelaide's venue for the Grand Final. Ha-ha, North upset the apple cart. Denison, Coolaroo. Yeah, well, they didn't lock in... Marvel Stadium as being available at the start of the season. So at the start of the season, they could have kept it vacant, but even at the start of the season, they let the world know that if the grand final was in Victoria, it wouldn't be at Marvel Stadium. It would be at Icon Park, or if Geelong had a good enough season to host it, they could have hosted it. Uh, Dwayne, co-captains didn't work at Adelaide Crows with Sloan and Walker. Yeah, it's been a few places where co-captains have worked, a few where it hasn't. I don't think it worked at Port Adelaide as well. Dwayne, You were talking my language doing the shopping in Colac right near Buller. And I'm going to Devo on Wednesday. Nick, so uh, a mention of the Buller ice creams in Colac. Thanks for that, Nick. You're going to Devo on Wednesday. Mentioned that Devo are on at the Palais. (laughs) Didn't know it was this Wednesday. Boney M are on. Simple Minds are on at the Palais as well. And one here, speaking of music, Morrissey is playing there Monday. So uh, plenty on at the Palais, plenty on musically. In Victoria, Tom Jones. I think it's Margaret Court Arena In the not too distant future, lost in, lost in the wash. Time one 736 If you've got a lost in the wash, should have got to it by now, but haven't yet. Lost in the wash, and your calls and a couple of texts as well. O four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. If there's a lost in the wash, you want to send it through via text. Text Machine brought to us by 40 Winks and Temper, T E M P U R Temper, the all new Temper Pro. Temper's most adaptive mattress ever is here. Temper mattresses like no other. Don't want Ricky Ponting from earlier today with Jared to get lost in the wash. We played you a little bit of what he had to say, but he also talked about not changing the batting order to accommodate Cameron Green once David Warner moves on. Here's Ricky Ponting on that.
5: Yeah, it's. A, I mean, I, I see that that sort of questions sort of ramped up, hasn't it? A bit, or that speculation's ramped up a bit the last couple of days with uh, some talk about Marnus potentially potentially going up and opening the batting and trying to find a way to to get Green back in the side as early as quickly as possible. I I, I actually don't believe in that. I, I think that you know I think Cameron Green might just have to sit back and 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 bide his time and wait for the opportunity to, to to come back and you know get a get a truckload of runs in Shield cricket and sort of force his way back into the <coughs> Into the side because <clears throat> um, it just, just just to me doesn't feel right that they're almost you know trying to and and if you think and part of the reason why I say that is Labuschagne's been outstanding at number three for Australia it's a, very much a, a specialist position um, if they moved him up they'd probably have to move Smith up to three you know he's always been that that sort of four that four batsman so it it it, it, it all sounds great in theory you know to get one of the, the most talked about and talented young all rounders back into the side as soon as possible but create some some potential issues along the way as well. So I, you know, personally, and I I don't know which way the selectors will go, but personally, I I would leave the the batting order where it is and pick one of the specialist openers and give them a crack now. Um, And and unfortunately, that would mean that Green would just have to sit back and wait a while.
2: So pick one of the specialist openers. Here's Ricky Ponting talking about whether Cam Bancroft is the one he's backing to take over from Dave Warner.
5: I'd just go on of what's happened um, most recently. And if, you, if I look at those three guys, then I, I think it's quite clear that Bancroft's the one that's got the runs on the board, um, as, as, to, as to say. And, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they go that way. But if I, if I wind the clock back about six months, it might have been a slightly different order than what it is now as well. So, you know, I think they probably had Harris as the one that would come back in a, a while ago. It's, to me now, it sort of feels like there's a bit more of a groundswell behind Cameron Bancroft being first cracked.
2: And where's Cameron Green at for his Test career? Ricky Ponting was able to uh, have a chat about that with Jarrod Whiteley earlier today too. Are you less sold on Green's Test match batting than you are his bowling?
5: Um, I think probably what I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's no doubt there's a, some talent there. I'm not sure he's really not not some some talent. There. There's a lot of talent there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying how good a cricketer Cameron Green is, but. Um, yeah, I think he's just probably struggled to find his rhythm and tempo a little bit in the Test match game. We've seen him come out and and look to dominate some attacks early, and he's and he's got out. It was other times we've seen him come in and be really, really cautious and and not look to play hardly any shots at all. So I think it's just a, you know, we've got to remember with him, he's a young man still trying to find his way at, at international level, and coming in at number six in the, in the batting order is not an easy place to bat either for someone that's batted you know predominantly higher than that through their career. So. But, I mean, the overall package, it's, it's very, very appealing. And, you know, if you're that, you know, that, that tall, you can bowl sort of over 140 k's an hour and get some shape with the, with the new ball and the old ball, then, um, yeah, I've, I've really liked what I've seen um, with, with his bowling. And I think there's just a few little areas that he's batting, with his batting, he's got to work
2: on. Rick, on Cam Green. The other big story, the last 24 hours, 48 hours, well, it's been bubbling for a week or so now, is the pay dispute in netball. So, Liz Ellis, one of the all-time greats, was on the project, here's what Liz had to say about the pay dispute.
10: But I think that the thing is the players threatened to boycott and that's when a, and a legal letter was sent to the players, threatening, threatening them with legal action if they didn't turn up. And that's wow. when things got really nasty. I just think from an ex-player's point of view, the governing body shouldn't send letters like that to its current players who are world champions, who've done everything they've been asked to this year. I find this media release that's come out this afternoon with this offer to say, well, we're going to back pay the players, we're going to give them almost everything they want. It's a little bit offensive because the players' biggest... Uh, bargaining chip is not turning up to work and Netball Australia is saying, you release that bargaining chip and you go back to work and we're going to give you almost everything we want and the stuff that's really sticky will work it out later. Mm. The players are standing strong and saying, actually, no, we want to talk about this revenue share model, this partnership model. And the players are really serious of being, about being custodians of the game. They're not going to send the game broke. They're asking for a partnership model and that's where the sticking point is. My only concern now is that the relationship so poisoned between the two mm. parties that we may not end up with any sort of meaningful agreement in the near future What happens then? Yeah. Look, I, I don't know and I, I'm wondering if a third party, if the government if the federal government perhaps has to step in and say you can't run the sport I, I don't know, I'm not quite sure where we it's get to
2: So, yes it's become a little poisonous Netball Australia CEO Kelly Ryan had this to say with Gerard Whateley on the pay dispute damaging the sport
1: we're
0: not unique. Um, is it ideal? Absolutely not. Will there be a, a potential ripple effect? Potentially, but um, every sport goes through a pay, pay negotiation and we've seen a number of them this year and, and none of them really go well. You know, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of different ideas and, and certainly competing agendas. Um, so every sport goes through it. We are not unique, but we, we, we want to get through it as quick as we possibly can because there is so much more to look forward to for this sport and that's where we want to spend our energy.
2: Need to take a break. David Stevenson, NBL CEO, to join me after the break. Still a bit to come on Dwayne's. So what a couple of texts that have come through that I haven't got to. Well, uh, one here, Pipe, loosely sports-related due to him signing, uh, singing about Ange Postacoglu and Tom De Koenig. But the Robbie Williams doco, is it worth watching? I'm halfway through and keen to watch the rest tonight, Madden Gembrook. Well, I find Robbie Williams immensely entertaining. Uh, I have watched the doco. I think it's a ripper. And I paid my money to go and watch him at Mount Danita State last weekend in Geelong. So uh, it's a yes from me. Always great to have your company for Dwayne's Well, Thanks to all of you who've taken the time to dial that Werribee Kia open line. one 736 736 the number. Can't take any more of your calls now. We've run out of time. A little David Stevenson, NBL CEO, has been good enough to join me to talk some NBL. Great to have your company and great to have the NBL back tonight after a weekend off. Welcome to you, David. Great to have you on. Thanks,
11: Dwayne. Always a pleasure to spend time with you. I appreciate it.
2: I said tonight, but it's really today, New Zealand-Adelaide, the early game. uh, So it kicks off again or tips off again?
11: Yeah, 5.30 tonight, seeing uh, a couple of of good teams that have bounced back after some some mixed form over over the uh, course of the season. So we can't wait for that that game tonight.
2: And Cairns and Brisbane, uh, one that you'll have a close eye on to make sure it doesn't get too volatile?
11: Yes, there's, a, there's definitely a good story there. I think with uh, with Aaron Baines and the situation uh, at the previous time they these two teams played, but again, I think they're all uh, big enough and, and bold enough they'll get through a good night. And I'm sure it won't uh, be pretty uneventful.
2: Yeah, how, how did you see that all? Oh, I mean, you dealt with it fairly well, fairly quickly. It did take some investigation, but the footage was there for all to see of uh, the, the little push with Aaron Baines.
11: Yeah, look, I think in all these things, it's important to make sure you, you, you cover off your bases by doing your diligence. I mean, you had to speak to all the players and the coaches. Um, and again, I think they're all um, well enough uh, versed on, on what our rules are and educated. And, and we've got to stand strong on those things. So a five-game suspension is a pretty significant one, but um, we've got to be clear on, on what those expectations are and everyone understands them.
2: Is it dangerous having the locker corridor crossover at half time?
11: Yeah, look, we've definitely um, had a review on our end to say there's some things that we could do differently and, and we've already implemented a few of those changes. Um, but I think in the nature of some of these venues when lockers are next to each other, um, there, there will be some interaction and, and 99.9% of the time there hasn't been any challenges. So we've got to make sure we consider that.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, but have you ever had a Friday night triple header before? Perth and Sydney, the late game? Well, not, not that I know of, Dwayne. Certainly
11: not in, in my time. Um, but it's amazing the, the visibility that Lake Perth game gets in uh, kicking off on Australian Eastern at 9.30. Um, people just seem to love it. And so often those that broadcast has actually got more audience than, than sometimes our 7.30 games.
2: couple of uh, – well, there's been a few talking points. I was always amazed when I broadcast the NBL how nasty some of the coaches – Become in game. I mean, they're at the refs all the time, all game. And, well, Chase Buford was a championship winner, so who am I to tell Chase to maybe sit down occasionally? But it did look as if it had toe over the line all over it for my looking at it uh, for a while. And you've decided to step in as well in that area.
11: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've now been in the role six months. I've been to every venue, watched a lot of games. And I just feel like some of the behaviour across all elements of our of our game, both fans and players and coaches and officials towards the referees, just is pushing the boundaries. And I'm a big believer that the game doesn't exist without the referees. They do a fantastic job. Um, they're, they're averaging almost 90% accuracy on their calls. And there's not too many other parts of our games that have 90% accuracy. And so I'm just going to make it very clear that we'll have zero tolerance for any abusive behaviour towards the referees. And um, people are on notice; they understand the implications of it. And, and if someone crosses that line and the referees know they've got my full support to take the necessary action.
2: Is that something you are proactive with as NBL CEO? Does Larry Kesselman, he owns it, does he say, hey, David, I don't really like this because... I mean, for a long, long time, we have been told, well, that's just basketball. That's just the way it happens in basketball.
11: Yeah, look, there's certainly not a direction from Larry. Larry's been an incredible support from, for all the initiatives that we're trying to drive uh, in, in the full-time staff. But um, the, the coaches are very clear at the start of the season on, on what those expectations were. And we want to make sure that as, as uh, kids who come along and see that interaction and then go and play on a, on a Saturday morning, um, that they know that the referees must be treated with respect um, and they've got to be treated professionally in the way that every other person in our, our league is. So um, that's very clear.
2: Is there a way you could have played last weekend?
11: You know, we, we would have loved to have. Uh, I think as, as you know, but maybe not all the listeners uh, may not know, is we do have these mandated breaks from FIBA. Uh, they're usually cleared on the calendar for the national teams to play. Coming off the back of the World Cup, there there was no games for the Boomers. So it was disappointing not to be able to have the the best and and brightest players representing their country all playing in BL games. But uh, we need to respect those rules, and and we're providing that feedback along the way. But all it does is build great anticipation for for the games kicking off tonight.
2: Been a bit of rumour around about Dwight Howard. Uh, Is he coming? What's he doing? Have you been talking to him?
11: Yeah, we've we've been having uh, lots of conversations with Dwight over an extended period of time and he's seen value in the strength of the league and he's still got aspirations to get back into the NBA and he's, he's playing overseas at the moment. But it, it's been uh, surprising coming into this role of how many ex-NBA players are wanting to come and play in, in the NBL and, and at different stages of their career. Some some have had a short time in the NBA, some have had a relatively long period. but I think it just authenticates um, our view that the the NBL is a really strong league and a great pathway into the NBA.
2: And there has been a bit of criticism that the big men get fouled out a bit in our league. We don't want to criticise the refs, of course, but uh, certainly wouldn't want Dwight fouling out, would we?
11: No, no. It'd be nice to see him <laughs> on, on court if he does uh, does proceed that way, but uh, I, I think, look, the 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 idea of seeing our stars, and um, whether they be local stars, whether they're the next stars or the emerging uh, NBA draftees, or all those people who have had a long career in the NBA. We want to see as many of those stars on court making spectacular plays and providing great entertainment for families.
2: You're any closer to nailing down where your expansion venues are going to be? And uh, will there be... Is there there's still a bit of talk internationally about where you might be able to get to at one stage?
11: Yeah, there's... Um, It's really exciting, actually, when you think of all the conversations we're having, both domestically and internationally. We always keep coming back to the three things that we need uh, to be in place, a strong fan support, strong corporate support, and then uh, particularly strong government support from a venues and and infrastructure perspective. And so all of those expansion conversations are at different stages against those three criteria. Uh, The international one's pretty interesting, particularly when you start to look around Asia, uh, the close proximity for us, the, the similar time zone for broadcast and the fact that Australian basketball is viewed so highly in those markets. Uh, there's, there's at the moment a lot of regulations that, that Fever present us from having teams from those countries come and play in our league. But uh, we're having good conversations with them and um, who, who knows, hopefully over the coming years you'll see the NBL continue to grow and expand from our current 10 teams, maybe towards that 14, 15 team mark.
2: Singapore most likely, if it does happen from Asia? Singapore is an easy
11: um, easy option from uh, logistics and um, ease of doing business there. But you know, when you start to look at some of the other countries around Asia and the role that basketball plays there, you know, you've got uh, Philippines, which is by far and away the most dominant sport. Uh, you've got Indonesia, uh, a lazy couple of hundred million people who love their <laughs> basketball, as we saw through the World Cup. You've got Japan whose strength in their league is continuing to grow. So even outside Singapore, there's a number of bigger markets that I think could be pretty compelling as well.
2: Great to hear, David. The competition's flying. You're doing a great job and can't wait to see it back in action for the triple header today. We'll talk soon.
11: Sounds great. Thanks for your support, Dwayne. Take care.
2: David Stevenson, NBL CEO. And uh, a quick reminder, you can watch every game of the Hungry Jacks NBL on ESPN. And uh, the early game, Starts at about 5 o'clock Eastern Standard Time today. While I'm doing plugs, big plug for our man Sammy Edmund. Listen to This Is Your Journey on Sunday from 10am as we look back at our episode with champion Australian swimmer Hayley Lewis, all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives and they're celebrating the life of Hayley Lewis with This Is Your Journey and Sammy Edmund doing the hosting duties there. Back to wrap it up straight after the break. Great to have so many of your calls and your texts coming through. Always great to have your company. For Dwayne's we'll-